Well, good morning. We're uh, we're here, so obviously the world didn't end on Friday. Uh, <clears throat> some thought that that wouldn't have happened anyway. Uh, thanks to Mary for finding that one on Facebook. We um, we of course did not have this Mayan apocalypse, but uh, when we think about apocalypse, the truth is that. In terms of what the word really means originally, we are already missing the boat. The word apocalypse comes from the Greek apocalypsis, which does not mean the end of the world. The word apocalypsis means revelation. In fact, our book, Revelation, is called in some more, uh, some older uh, uh, translations, the Apocalypse of St. John. Uh, but also that is not a, exactly correct, because although Revelation was written by John, the very first three words of that book tell us what it is about, Apocalypsis Jesu Christu, a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, we could spend a lovely half hour at least arguing about whether that's a revelation about Jesus Christ, a revelation in regard to Jesus Christ, a revelation by Jesus Christ, or an even number of other different things, but uh, if we stick with revelation of Jesus Christ, we'll be doing just fine on that one. Apocalypse means revelation. And here at the end of Isaiah, not just the end of the third part of Isaiah, but the end of the whole book of Isaiah, all 66 chapters of it, we have God talking about his revelation in chapter 65, verse 1. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here I am, here I am. Literally, in the Hebrew, that first part is, I allowed myself to be sought by those who didn't ask for me. I allowed myself to be found by those who didn't seek me, which, like every puzzle we find in Scripture, should make us say, well, just who's he talking about there? Let's hold that question in the back of our minds as we go through this text. Who is this nation that did not call on his name to whom he revealed himself? This nation that didn't ask for him nevertheless was seeking him that found him even though they weren't seeking. All day long, God says, I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways that are not good, pursuing their own imaginations, a people who continually provoke me to my very face. That's probably a, an allusion to the Ten Commandments, where God says, you shall have no other gods before me. Literally, you will have no other gods up in my face. Offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on altars of brick, who sit among the graves and spend their nights keeping secret vigil, who eat the flesh of pigs and whose pots hold 
broth of impure meat. Who say, keep away, don't come near me, for I am too sacred for you. Such people are smoke in my nostrils. They're a fire that keeps burning all day long. God's talking about here, these obstinate people. He's talking about syncretists and what's worse, hypocrites. Syncretists, of course, are people who roll their own religion, who take a little of this, a little of that. And here we have a people who are offering sacrifices in gardens. Where does Torah say you're supposed to offer the sacrifice? Does it say you should offer it in gardens? No, it does not. Does, where does Torah say you should be burning incense? On the incense altar, where is that? In the temple. Is that made out of brick? No, it is not. No, it's bronze. Um, you remember the story of Nadav and Avihu, Aaron's sons, who kind of improvised. Remember them? They got all excited and they decided that they were going to offer incense in the way they wanted to offer. They offered the fire in a strange way. And what happened to them? God struck them down. In fact, it may be that they sort of blew up from the inside like that Nazi in, uh, in Indiana Jones. This is not something that God wanted his people to do. Yet, nevertheless, that's what they're doing. They're doing the things they would like to do the way they would like to do them in their own way. And probably if they're doing this in gardens in a fairly private fashion, not among God's people. They sit among the graves, spend their nights keeping secret vigils probably has to do with some sort of a, a, a ancestor a divination kind of thing. There was a custom some people would sleep in, in a, a graveyard either on the ground or below the ground thinking that by doing so they could get special knowledge or power from the dead. They eat the flesh of pigs whose pots hold broth of impure meat. Now here... It, I'm so excited, especially with Christmas coming up, as I think about Christmas dinner. Here we have one of these rare places in Scripture where the word is not entirely clear in the text. Some sources will say that they have broth in the pots. Others will say they have fragments or bits in the pots. And I look at that and I say, well, of course, how do you get a broth? You take the brown bits in the bottom of the pan, you deglaze them with some wine or some water, you make yourself a nice sauce. But the point of doing that, of course, is that you're extracting the essence of the flavor of whatever it is you've just cooked. What are you supposed to do with pigs if you're one of God's people? Nothing. You're not supposed to have anything to do with them. Are you supposed to be extracting their delicious flavor? No. It's okay for us, by the way, that we'll get to that later. And then these people who are doing all of these things, all the things contrary to God's law, they say, oh, keep away, don't come near me, I am too holy for you. Really? Not only are they hypocrites, not only are they syncretists, they're jerks. Somehow they think that they are too holy for their neighbors. These people, God says, are smoke 
in my nostrils. They're a fire that keeps burning all day. They are a child screaming at the top of her lungs. They are people who take 18 items into the 12-item or less line. People who drive 55 in the right lane of the beltway during rush hour. This is what... Oh, wait. See, it stands... I say I'm so excited. I'm moving ahead. See, it stands written before me. I will not keep silent, but will pay back in full. I will pay it back into their laps. Both your sins and the sins of your fathers, says Yahweh, because they burned sacrifices on the mountains. They defied me on the hills. And probably a reference to worship practices that were used by the gods of their neighbors. Because where do you burn sacrifices for God? Just review. In the temple. Okay. Do you do that up on the mountain? No, not unless it's the mountain of God. Do you defy him on the hills? Do you defy him anywhere else for that matter? Okay, good. I will measure... No, you don't even defy him in the temple, Nathan. I thought you went to a good school. (laughs) Harvey Mudd's admission standards have been relaxed of late. (laughs) I will measure into their laps the full payment for their former deeds. So there are consequences to this kind of behavior, aren't there? But there is also an alternative. This is what Yahweh says, as when juice is found in a cluster of grapes and people say, don't destroy it, there's still a blessing in it, so will I do in behalf of my servants. I will not destroy them all. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah, those who will possess my mountains. My chosen people will inherit them, and there will my servants live Sharon, which was a swamp, will become a pasture for flocks. The valley of Ahor, which was a really rocky, miserable place, a resting place for herds, for my people who seek me. But as for you who forsake Yahweh and forget my holy mountain, who spread a table for fortune and fill bowls of mixed wine for destiny, again, some sort of honoring of these false gods. I will destine you for the sword and all of you will fall in the slaughter. For I called, but you did not answer. I spoke, but you did not listen. You did evil in my sight and you chose what displeases me. It's bad enough that they would be doing evil But they did so in full awareness of what God had said. He called to them, but they didn't answer him. Spoke, but they didn't listen. They chose what displeased God, knowing full well that they were doing so. I remember when I was a young believer in young life, I was taught that every time we sin, it's like we're flipping God a middle finger. So therefore, this is what the Lord Yahweh says. My servants will eat, but you will go hungry. My servants will drink, but you will go thirsty. My servants will rejoice, but you will be put to shame. My servants will sing out of the joy of their hearts, but you will cry out from anguish of heart. 
You'll wail in brokenness of spirit. You'll leave your name for my chosen ones to use in their curses. The Lord Yahweh will put you to death, but to his servants he will give another name. Whoever invokes a blessing in the land will do so by the one true God. Presumably others are invoking blessings in the name of somebody else. And whoever takes an oath in the land will swear by the one true God. Evidently, others were swearing on other gods or perhaps the precious. For the past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from my eyes. And there's going to be with apologies to Disney, a whole new world. See, I'm going to create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it infants who live but a few days or older people who do not live out their years. Those who die at a hundred will be thought of as mere youths. Those who fail to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They'll build houses and dwell in them. They'll plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as in the days, as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by Yahweh, they and their descendants with them. Even before they call, I will answer. While they're still speaking, I will hear. Reminds you of Romans 8, doesn't it? Where Paul says that the Spirit intercedes for us with groans that even words can't express. The wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. But dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says Yahweh. It's a whole new world. And it is new. And it is different, isn't it? Right now, if you're going to have the wolf and the lamb feeding together, you're going to be replacing the lamb every couple days. Right now, we have infants who live but a few days, older people who do not live out their years. Imagine a world where the sound of weeping and crying is no more. It's beautiful, but, but that's not the world we live in, is it? So some things are going to have to change. What's in the way of this whole new world? What prevents it? Well, among other things, jerks. Let's look at chapter 66. This is what Yahweh says. Heaven's my throne. The earth is my footstool. So where's the house you're going to build for me? Where's my resting place going to be? Hasn't my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares Yahweh, you think you're doing me favors by building a temple? Look, these are the ones that I look on with favor. Those who are humble, who are contrite in spirit, who tremble at my word. 
You sacrifice a bull, you kill a human being. You offer a lamb, you break a dog's neck. You make a grain offering, you present pig's blood. Again, it's not like these offerings weren't prescribed. It's not like people shouldn't have been making them. But the implication is these are people who are not humble and contrite in spirit, who are not trembling at God's word. These are people who proudly bring forth the prescribed sacrifices and offerings and say, okay, I've done my part. God better be pleased with me. Not remotely. You burn that memorial incense that you're so proud of, that incidentally you're not supposed to mix up according to the same recipe that was used in the temple, according to the Torah. It's like worshiping an idol. They've chosen their own ways. And what's worse, they delight in their abominations. They could not be more proud of themselves for their innovations in worship or for their meticulous observance of those commandments they choose to pay attention to. So I also will choose harsh treatment for them. I'll bring on them what they dread. For again, when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, no one listened. They did evil in my sight, and they chose what displeases me. So hear the word of Yahweh, you who, unlike them, tremble at his word. Your own people who hate you, who exclude you because of my name, have said, Let Yahweh be glorified that we may see your joy, yet they will be put to shame. One key part of this whole new world is that there aren't any jerks in it. That God sorts out the jerks. And God always offers the jerks the opportunity to turn to him. Let's be clear about that. It's not like you're permanently stuck being a jerk. You're a jerk. God says you can repent of being a jerk and you can come to me and I'll be regenerating you. You get with my program. But there are always people who choose not to do that, aren't there? People who stubbornly persist in being jerks. And you can't have this new heavens and this new earth if the people who persist in being jerks are going to persist in being jerks. They will need to be stopped. Hear that uproar from the city. Hear that noise from the temple. It's the sound of Yahweh repaying his enemies all they deserve. Before she goes into labor, she gives birth. Before the pains come upon her, she delivers a child. Who's ever heard of this? Who's ever seen something like this? Can a country be born in a day or a nation brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to children. What, do I bring the moment of birth and not give delivery, says Yahweh? Do I close up the womb when I bring delivery? Says your God, rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice greatly with her, all you who mourn over her, for you will nurse and be satisfied at her comforting breasts. You will drink deeply and delight in her overflowing abundance. For this is what Yahweh says, I will extend peace to her like a river and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream, those Wicked nations around that were coming against God and His people, they will be bringing tribute. 
They will no longer be battling against God's people, but there will be peace that God brings. You'll nurse, be carried on her arm, dandled on her knees. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, and you'll be comforted over Jerusalem. This picture is one not only of Jerusalem being as secure as a mother is to a child, but really this is God comforting His people. And when you see this, your heart will rejoice and you'll flourish like grass. The hand of Yahweh will be made known to His servants, but His fury will be shown to His foes. See, look, Yahweh's coming with fire, His chariots like a whirlwind. He will bring down His anger with fury and His rebuke with flames of fire. For with fire and with sword, Yahweh will execute judgment on all people and many will be those slain by Yahweh. Those who consecrate and purify themselves to go into their gardens, following one who's among those who eat the flesh of pigs and rats and other unclean things, they'll meet their end together with the one they follow, declares Yahweh. And here's the huge surprise. When God creates this whole new world, who's there? The last people you'd expect. I, because of what they have planned and done, am about to come and gather the people of all nations and languages, and they will come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them. I'll send some of those who survived to the nations, to Tarshish, to Libyans and Lydians, famous as archers, to Tubal and Greece, the distant islands that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. They will proclaim my glory among the nations, and they'll bring all your people from all the nations. To my holy mountain in Jerusalem is an offering to Yahweh on horses, chariots, wagons, mules, and camels, says Yahweh. They'll bring them, just as the Israelites bring their grain offerings to the temple of Yahweh in ceremonial, ceremonially clean vessels. And I will select some of them also to be priests and Levites, says Yahweh. This is not just the nations bringing tribute. This is not just the defeated foes of God's people coming with their offerings. This is the glad welcoming of all who would come to God from any nation. And this is those of His people who truly love Him bringing them in, even as those who don't suffer the consequences of their disobedience. I think this is that nation in chapter 65, verse 1. I revealed myself to those who didn't ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me to a nation that did not call on my name. I said, here I am, here I am. This, when he talks about revealing himself to the nations that didn't even look for him, this is God bringing in all the people. This is the cosmic scope of God's agenda of reconciliation, of redemption. God chose a people, not just so that that one people would choose to be His and be blessed. Although that certainly would have happened if they had been faithful. But God chose one nation so that being blessed, they would be a blessing to all the nations. God's agenda is always much bigger than what we think it is. So these nations... Are included, and not just 
included, but they're given roles as priests and Levites. They're brought into the most holy of places. They're given privileges that would be unimaginable even to those of God's people who were faithful but weren't born into the right family. So the nations are part of this whole new world. But who's not part of this whole new world? The jerks. As the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares Yahweh, so will your name and descendants endure from one new moon to another, one Sabbath to another. All people will come and bow down before me, says Yahweh. And they won't just bow down before me, they will also go out and look on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. Their worm will not die, nor will their fire be quenched, and they will be loathsome to the whole human race. It occurred to me as I was preparing the sermon that we see time and time again in the prophets this uncomfortable picture of God not only blessing His people, not only welcoming in those He's redeemed, but also this picture of God's defeated enemies. There is a sense in which God does have the head of the opposing general on a pike outside His door. And we may think that unenlightened and we may think that uncomfortable and the prophets would tell us to shove it. We see in Ezekiel 39, we see at the end of Joel and Micah, Zechariah and Malachi and Daniel, we see this at the end of Revelation where we have, we saw this in in Matthew when Jesus talks about the coming day of Yahweh. He actually quotes that passage in Isaiah. So we have this assurance from the prophets that God will bless and welcome his people, but also that he will sort out his enemies. And that they will be there as a memorial to his power and his greatness and his victory. But we have to be careful with how comfortable we get with that picture. Amos, prophet Amos in his fifth chapter, said, Woe to you who long for the day of Yahweh. Why do you long for the day of Yahweh? That day will be darkness to you, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear. As though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of Yahweh be darkness, not light? Pitch dark without a ray of brightness? I hate, God says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I won't accept them. You can bring choice fellowship offerings. I'm not going to pay him any attention. Get the noise of your songs away. I will not listen to the music of your harps, definitely not your handbells. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. 
You bring the sacrifices and offerings, those 40 years in the wilderness, house of Israel. You lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I'll send you into exile beyond Damascus, says Yahweh, whose name is God Almighty. Here once again, just like in Isaiah, and just like we get over and over and over in the prophets, we get over and over and over in Jesus' critique of the religious leaders of his day. We have people who have placed their confidence in ritual observance, their confidence in tribal membership and their heritage. They have placed their confidence in those things that they do or those things that they have that they think are going to impress God. And so they look forward with great eagerness to this day of the Lord when they think He is going to vindicate them and sort out all of their enemies when the problem is they are the ones who are His enemies. This is why Jesus was so offensive when He would quote the prophets that these religious leaders he was arguing against. Like Ron talked about last week, you had folks who thought that they were the good guys. and The message of the prophets is, no, you're not the good guys, you're the bad guys. If, if you're eager for God to sort out your, his enemies, you better watch out if you're one of his enemies. Eternal security does not come through ritual observance. Eternal security does not come by being born into the right family or the right culture. Eternal security does not come even by tithing, although that is very helpful. Eternal security comes by a right relationship with the one God of the universe who has revealed himself, who has called out, who has spoken. calls us, speaks to us. Our choice is whether we will be those who respond or those who ignore. We can choose to be in Him or we can choose wickedness. But God's going to sort it all out. Let's pray. Lord, we receive the teaching of your word even when it is difficult for us to hear. and I think especially when it's hard for us to hear. We humbly receive what you've revealed to us. grateful that your agenda of cosmic reconciliation is not restricted to one small group of people, but that you and your mercy receive all who respond to you. By the blood of your Son, you enable all of us to draw near. 
even those of us who were born outside. We have the opportunity to come close. We have the boldness to approach the throne of grace. Because Jesus has made that way for us. We pray, Lord, that we would live as your people. That we would be about the work you've called us to do. That we would be light in the dark places. That people from every tongue and tribe and nation would be drawn to you. We thank you for the privilege we have of being part of that. We give you all honor and glory and praise, almighty God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.